So I'm talking about my favorite time of the year, during my favorite time of the year, and so it's like double excitement for me. And we're talking about this series, Don't Open Till Christmas, and the reason why we called it that is I think universally, so like even broader than this room, we experience this sensation of like anxiousness and angst when it comes to receiving a gift. Like when you know something's on the way, there's just this anticipation in your heart that like, oh, I cannot wait to get it. I want it. I want it now. And maybe for you, like, you've got to the point where you're, like, a little bit too cool for presents, and presents don't really, like, you know, inspire excitement anymore. And first of all, don't be too cool for presents. It's, it's you know, they're a very great thing. But maybe some of y'all are out there, and you've been working on your parents for months. Like, back in June, you started this idea. You thought to yourself, I need a phone this year. I need a phone for Christmas. How can I get a phone? And so way back in June, you saw your dad on his phone, and you say, hey, dad, uh, your phone's looking a little dated. Like, aren't you due for an upgrade soon? Like, what would you do with your old phone if you got an upgrade? And your dad's not, you know, he's not very smart, so he's not picking up on the signals you're sending. He's like, oh, you know, no big deal. If I get a new phone, I, I don't know. I'll probably just sell the old one. And you're like, oh, okay. Uh, I, never mind. Uh, and then maybe, you know, a couple months later, you, you know, try to get a little bit more heavy-handed, and you invite your friend Monica over. And Monica is a girl that your mother likes very much. Monica has a great reputation at school. Monica's very well-behaved, well-mannered. And Monica comes over for a play date. And Monica is so complimentary of your mother's cooking. And your mother is just in love with Monica. It just so happens, oh my gosh, Monica has a cell phone too. Mom, I don't know if you saw this, but a girl my age also has a cell phone. It's just strange that I don't have one, you know? I need a phone. And so you tell your mom, you know, maybe you get even more heavy-handed. And you say, Mom, I'm so sorry. I feel like our relationship has hit a standstill. I feel like our communication has dropped all the way to nothing. Like, I don't know what's going to redeem our relationship. Actually, there might be one thing, Mom. I think there is one way that I could communicate with you at any point, really. That if I but had a phone, Mom, if I had a phone, our relationship would be restored. We could be blue texting each other. I would blue text you. You could blue text me back. Mom, I would talk to you so much, and our relationship would, rede- would be redeemed if but I had a phone. And maybe by that point, they pick up on all those signals and they say, you know what? Okay, we're getting you a phone. And yet, still yet, the worst part comes. The waiting. Ugh, I hate the waiting. Like when you know something's in the mail and you're waiting for it to get there. Like, like I have Amazon Prime membership. And when something doesn't arrive in the two-day shipping, I immediately call them. Even if it arrives, like on the third day, I like demand a refund. I'm like, nah, you said two days. That thing, I, you need to pay for it. Took an extra day. Because I hate, I hate waiting. And in the same way, we hate waiting. And so the cool thing about this series, what we're going to be talking about, is a time in history where God did something very similar. Where God basically made people wait. And really, the Christmas story is a story of waiting. I know a lot of times uh, when we you know, get around the holidays, we maybe come to church and we get to hear the Christmas story on Christmas Eve. And we pick up with it. Right as Jesus is basically happening, like you hear the angel appeared to Mary and said, uh, Mary, you're going to be with child, and his name's going to be Jesus, he's going to be, you know, the son of God, like all these things, and we pick up in that, like that's so powerful, awesome, but what's a, such a cool thing about what we're going to do in this series is talk about even more so why that story matters in light of all of the time leading up to it. We're going to be talking about these things called prophecies. Everybody say Prophecies. So prophecies, if you're familiar or unfamiliar with the term, prophecies were basically ways that God spoke to people. They were promises from God. They were his chance to speak to his people. 
And so we're going to be looking at different prophecies from God and how they came true. We're going to look at the time where God said something was going to happen, and then we're going to look ahead to when it actually happened. And so it's going to be really cool because we're going to see all these new aspects of the Christmas story that maybe some of y'all are unfamiliar with. Like, even for me, as I've been preparing for tonight, like, there was new things that I was learning. I was like, oh, my gosh, that happened too? That's crazy. And so before we get kind of too far into it, let me pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would speak through our hearts tonight, God, that we would feel encouraged, God, and cared for. God, I pray that we would know just certainly, God, that because of the ways that you sought and fought for your people throughout history, God, that you do the same thing for us. God, I pray that we would leave tonight different than we arrived, God, closer to you because of what you've challenged in our hearts. God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. So we're talking about prophecies, and one of the first things I want to kind of cover is why prophecies matter, why prophecies are important. And the first reason why prophecies are important is, number one, because they represented God's voice. Prophecies represented God's voice. You see, a unique experience for somebody that existed way back when, even before Jesus, is that they didn't have the, like, bonus gift of the Bible. They didn't have this text in their hand. Now, there were stories, there were some Testament, Old Testament things that had happened that they could refer to, but think about being in the generation of people that these chapters are based from. Like, imagine yourself as an Israelite under Egyptian rule without knowing the chapter on which God's going to rescue from Egyptian rule. And so prophecies are so powerful because this is one of the few ways that God spoke to people. They didn't get to just read the Bible at their leisure. So prophecies matter because they represented the voice of God. You see, God spoke through a number of ways. He spoke through prophets. He spoke through angels. He spoke through uh, inanimate objects. He spoke to Moses through a burning bush. But prophecies matter because they were God's voice. They also mattered because they represented hope. Prophecies represented hope. You see... The Israelite people, as I just referred to, even in the time like when they were under Egyptian rule, they experienced a lot of their history in captivity. There was plenty of times when God redeemed them. There was plenty of times when they were in control over their own decisions and their own nation, and they had kings and governing bodies. But there was way more plenty of times where that wasn't the case, when others were in control over their lives and their, their futures. And so these prophecies that they had from God were one of the few things that they had to hold on to that made them any point of confidence towards knowing that there was a day to come that would not be like the day they're in right now. And maybe as a sidebar, that's one of the things that you need to hear tonight, that whatever it is that you're struggling with, man, God is still for you. That there's not an experience that has ever existed in human history that God hasn't been working for those people in. Like, I, I, I get it. Like, I read y'all's, like, we pray over y'all's prayer requests each week. And I understand that a lot of y'all have experienced way more life than I have at your age already. But yet, even still, in y'all's circumstance, it hasn't been hundreds of years in slavery at a time. Like, this is intense and extreme because the circumstances surrounding these prophecies were intense and extreme. Another reason why it inspired such hope or why it was a a source or a point of hope is there's this time period in the Bible referred to as the 400 years of silence. Everybody say 400 years of silence. 
in class or maybe with your friends. Have you ever played the quiet game? The first to speak loses. Well, imagine the opposite of that sort of. Like, imagine a situation where all you want is to hear someone speak, and for 400 years you don't. That for years and years and years, God spoke to his people through so many ways. He spoke through shrubs and angels and other people. God spoke to his people, and then all of a sudden, nothing. Talking, 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 nothing. And the craziest thing still is, is my favorite thing about kind of tonight is that what we're going to be looking at in the specific prophecy we're looking towards tonight, it even existed 700 years before Jesus. Because the unique thing about that 400 years of silence is the way that God chose to finally speak was through the birth of a child, was through Jesus. That Jesus' arrival to this earth was the moment that that silence was broken. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the arrival of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. And so prophecies matter because they inspired hope for those 400 years. I mean, could you imagine holding on to something for 400 years, waiting it for it to come? Or in this case, 700 years. That means that babies became adults that had babies that became adults that had babies that became adults that had babies that became adults that still didn't see it happen. And again, like I get fed up when I wait more than the two-day shipping. We're talking 700 years And so tonight we're going to look at this prophecy from the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is in the Old Testament. You can turn there. Isaiah comes after Psalms and Proverbs. So if you open up kind of to the middle of your Bible, it'll be just to the right. Um, If you have your Bible or your phone. If not, it's going to be on the screens. We're going to look to chapter 9 of Isaiah at a prophecy from God. And it starts here in verse 2. says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, underline great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light was dawned, underline a light. You enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as the day of the Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for our fire. For unto us a child is born. Praise God. Underline that. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Underline that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So again, 700 years before Jesus comes, Isaiah speaks this into existence. God speaks through Isaiah and speaks this into existence. And for 700 years, they're hoping and waiting for this. Like, I imagine myself back then thinking, okay, uh, well, it's day 40, uh, and I'm still under somebody else's rule. So, like, hopefully, certainly by day 50, like, God is coming. Or hopefully by year one, God is coming. Year two. Like, 
I don't know any other way to impart how crazy 700 years is than just to say that it's 700 years. Like, that is insane to me. And kind of another aspect that I want to borrow back to with why prophecies matter is, is what we see here is that the Bible predicts Jesus' birth hundreds of years before he arrives. Hundreds of years before Jesus arrives, the Bible predicted that it would happen. So another aspect of why prophecies matter is that prophecies kind of represent like a called shot. Like you think about with your friends, you know, you're hanging out and something, you know, maybe you're playing horse, like maybe you've, you've played horse before. I played horse before. I'm not a big, good basketball player, but I at least played horse. And you would call your shot. You would say, okay, well, you know, it has to hit off the backboard or it has to be a swish. Uh, I was a big fan of inventing things that I thought made basketball more difficult, but I don't play basketball enough to know what makes it more difficult. So my shots were like, you have to close one eye or stand on one leg or you have to like spin around twice and then shoot. Um, I was a big fan of the half-court shot because you look awesome when you finally make it. But hopefully, like, those friends didn't see you take 26 tries to get there. And we love the called shot. One of the greatest examples of, of this kind of called shot idea happened way, 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 way long ago. Way back in 1932, on October 1st, the Yankees were playing the Cubs for the World Series. They were playing at Wrigley Field, which is in Chicago. And for some of y'all that are Yankee fans, like, you already know this story. You know why it's so crazy. And maybe y'all, some of y'all will recognize some of the characters. But a guy named Babe Ruth plays for the Yankees. He steps up to the plate, and he takes his bat, and he points it out to center field as if to say, I'm going to hit a home run, and you can't stop me. And, you know, the Cubs pitcher is thinking, well, you know, I, I can't let this happen now. Like, this guy just, you know, he pointed to the stands. Like, I can't let him hit a home run. But sure enough, on the next pitch, the guy throws a curveball, Babe Ruth connects and drills this thing. I mean, like 440 feet into the stands, center field. And it's, it's not crazy in itself that it's a home run because, I mean, Lou Gehrig went after that that same game and, and hit a home run as well. The Yankees won that game and went on to win the series. And it's not even necessarily extreme that it was this home run. It's crazy because it was a called shot. That Babe stood up to the plate and said, I'm going to hit him run, and then did that. And so what's cool and what's crazy about a prophecy is it's God calling a shot. It's him putting his own reputation on the line, him putting his own character on the line, him putting his own opinion on the line to call his shot. Now, the unique thing for, for God, obviously, is that when he calls a shot, it always comes through. I mean, the story with Babe Ruth is a really powerful one, but he actually took two strikes before he did that. He went up there, he pointed out to center field, strike one. Went up there, pointed out to strike, or center field again, strike two. It wasn't until the third pitch they did. I mean, like it's, it's a little bit more dramatic, yes, but he was saying he was going to do it from the beginning and didn't right at first. What we're going to look at tonight also is a time where God's called shot came through. And that's what's important to me is because a called shot only matters if it comes through. Like one of my most annoying things in sports is in golf. When you're, if you've ever been to a golf tournament, um, you've, you've experienced this whether you've been aware of it or not. But every single time somebody hits from the tee box, there's somebody in the crowd that says in the hole. And it could be a par five. It could be like hundreds of yards from the hole. And somebody screams in the air, in the hole! Go, Tiger, in the hole! And what that means, it means that they believe that that ball is going to land into the pin. And they might not really believe that. It might be a joke. But it's so annoying. 
Y'all have that friend maybe that, that does the same thing like, oh, I'm going to make it on this one. They take a shot, they miss. I'm going to make it on this one. I'm going to take a shot and miss. And like 10 tries later, they make it. They're like, yeah, I called that. I called that. Like, yeah, you called everyone along the way. So a called shot only matters if it comes through. And what we're going to see tonight is that God came through, like dramatically came through. So another part of scripture we're going to look at is in the book of John. You can turn there. That's in the New Testament. John chapter 1, verse 1, very beginning of it. And as we read through this, I want you to pay special attention to the words that are chosen here in this scripture and, and, and recall to yourself the words we just talked about in Isaiah. So those words I was talking about underlining and such things. Because starting here in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. And without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and the life that was the light of all mankind. And the life that was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is a different John than John the book. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness testifying concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came, to the, uh, he came to the which that was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, but born of God. Love this verse. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law, of Moses, or for the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who himself or who is himself God and is in close relationship with the Father has made him known. So four hundred or seven hundred years in this case, and this is what happens. This is what they get. They get this fruition, they get this this period or exclamation mark, however you refer to it. To, to the prophecy from before. And as I said, the called shot only matters if it comes through, and this is God coming through. And what's so unique about this and so like crazy for me to wrap my head around is you hear verses in John where it talks about the very, the very beginning of this chapter where he says that he was with God in the beginning and through things all. like God did not even call this shot Along the way, God called the shot of Jesus at the beginning of time. 
Like, I think in our own experience, it's easier for us to maybe think about, like, you're watching a football game, and, you know, it's uh, you know, two really strong teams. So at the beginning of the game, you're like, you know, this really could go either way. Like, you know, one, guy, one team has this guy, and the other team has, like, this guy hurt. So it's kind of like they're not playing at full steam. But, you know, maybe as the game progresses, you get more and more confident who's going to win, don't you? But based on the score, based on how they're playing, based on who showed up to play that day. You know, and it's pretty safe to say, like, let's say there are 30 seconds left in the game and there's a team that's up by nine points. Like, you would bet your life savings that that team is going to win. Because how could somebody score 10 points in 30 seconds? But that's not that crazy, right? Like, we're, we're, we're hedging our bets once we finally know the answer. What happens here, what's happening here is, like, I couldn't ask you, what your prediction for the Super Bowl would be in 2020. Like, you would have no way of knowing what NFL team is going to win the Super Bowl in 2020. This is God calling the Super Bowl in 2,718. He's saying, who's going to win the Super Bowl in 2,718? But it's not even that, because thousands of years before that even existed, God knew it was happening. And so a called shot matters, a prophecy matters, only because God comes through. The thing that's cool to me about John is, first and foremost, like, the Israelite people, God's people, they would be very familiar with that prophecy. Like I said, they had to hold on to that for 400 years, 700 years. They had to hold on to that. And so when it finally was being answered, man, I, I bet you they were looking for it. They were hoping for it. They were waiting for it. And so they would have been very familiar with all these references that we're going to be looking at just now. References, like where Jesus is referred to as the light for all mankind. In Isaiah, it talked about this light that would come. And then in John, it says that Jesus is the light of all mankind. And it's cool because Jesus isn't just the light. Like, or Jesus was the light both figuratively and, like, literally, like, when Jesus was born, there was a star in the sky that shone for days and days and days and guided people to come see this born Messiah, this king. But like on a figurative level, like spiritually, Jesus represented light because he was coming to defeat darkness, defeat sin, defeat what we talked about in Isaiah when it said things like, you know, I think sometimes we have a little bit of issue with with maybe looking back to Old Testament scriptures because they're a little harder to understand at times. They might include, include some names we've never heard of before. But one of the names that stuck out to me, if we can find that again, that'd be great. Back in the, the Isaiah chapter, um, it talked about the defeat of the Midianites. And I researched what this was, this, this battle or what it was. And essentially what had happened in history is that Moses led the people of God to like, more or less eradicate this nation, the Midianites, that like every son, daughter, like man was killed. Like there's probably a few that maybe escaped by like running for their life and and fleeing and and escaping. But ultimately like to the point of nothing left, they wiped out this nation. And so when they are hoping for this prophecy to come true, they're expecting something that's going to be permanent. Because what happened with the Midianites was permanent. And so if Jesus is coming to be the light that's going to defeat darkness, thank goodness he's going to do it permanently and forever. It also matters, and they would have picked up on the connections with things like this. The word became flesh. 
And again, like, barring the fact that, like, on a poetry level, that's so, like, beautiful to imagine. On a physical level, like, God's prophecy became life, became living and breathing and active. What God said was going to be happening became a living being. And they would have made that connection immediately. That the word, that that prophecy had now come true. That that gift from God had arrived. You see, I think a lot of times we get a little bit frustrated with, um, or maybe not we collectively this time, but once you get older-ish, you might start having a little bit of scroogeness in your heart and you say to yourself, man, people have lost the meaning of Christmas it is, uh, it is gone forever. You know, people, they get too focused on materialism. They get too focused on the presence. But the truth is, like, the origin of the Christmas story is the origin of the greatest gift that has ever been brought to mankind. That Christmas is about giving because the original Christmas centers on the gift of Jesus. Christmas is about giving because the original Christmas centers on the gift of Jesus. Now, the difficult thing about this is, is that if the gift, or if the Christmas centers around giving, and and that's because of Jesus was this gift, what happens if you wait, and you wait, and you wait? Like, think about, so, Again, for years they waited for this Messiah to come. And so once that gift was here, I'm sure that they were receiving it with open arms, but that wasn't the case, was it? That maybe for them that what arrived was different than what they hoped for. But the point is this. God called his shot hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands. At the beginning of time, he said what was going to happen. He knew his plan to redeem his people, and it was his plan A. He knew that 400 years of silence interrupted by the birth of a child would still lead to people denying him, would still lead ultimately to Jesus going to the cross. Like that was his intention from the beginning. And so I'm excited with where we're going to keep going in the weeks to come with this series. And tonight I'm trying to, you know, I was trying to think of like, okay, what do we do with this? Like, what does a prophecy mean to us today? And I think there's a couple of different, you know, people in the room or hearts in the room uh, with where you're kind of at with this. I think for some of y'all, you know, there's a level of skepticism or maybe you have relationships.